0: It's good to be with you guys this morning, church. Uh, Today we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're we're following through this letter that that Paul wrote around 60 AD while in prison uh, to Christians. And in the first three chapters, he talked about the things that we should believe as Christians, and now we've moved to the second half, the last three chapters, where he's talking to us about the implications of those beliefs, the implications for how we live our lives based upon the grace that God has given to us, and that's where we find ourselves today. And so I want to invite you uh, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to go through a lot of verses in this chapter today, uh, verses 1 through 21. And uh, we're excited to turn there this morning. As you turn there, I'm just going to pray again that God would speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us your word. And we thank you that every time that we turn there together, that there is power uh, because it reveals to us the very truth of what is right and good and your will and holy. And so we pray that you would give us guidance, empowerment, and conviction, not shame, Lord, or fear, but you would replace those things with power and love. And these are the things that we pray together through the power of your Son uh, today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, let me pick up. I'm going to jump right in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says to us, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now the first word that Paul uses is this word therefore and you've heard this before every time you hear the word in the Bible therefore you have to wonder what is it there for? And so we have to go back to the chapter that we just read and we need to recall some of the things that Paul's already shared with us. He challenged us in uh, chapter 4, verse 24, to put on our new self. Uh, We've celebrated a lot of baptisms recently at Grace and uh, Paul says that we're buried with him, Christ, in his death and we're raised to walk in new life, that when we receive Christ is our Savior, and what He's accomplished for us through His life, through His death and resurrection, that there is a new self. Uh, that we walk in. That we walk in the light. We don't walk in the darkness. And he's challenged us to put on a new self. He's challenged us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're called out of the darkness. We're called into light. And to walk to, to every day, live in a manner that's worthy of this gift that we've been given. This life that we're to follow. That was Ephesians 4.1. And so he says, Therefore... Because of what we've received, because of who we are, let us imitate God. The very heart of what it means to be a Christian, to imitate who God is, to walk as he walked, to walk as Jesus walked. And he gives us the invitation and the challenge to emulate our Savior. In what? He says, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He's challenging us to emulate Christ in forgiveness. In having a heart of forgiveness. We're told in verses 31 and 32, right before this verse, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But... Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. And here we read again, and as he continues to flesh this out in verse five, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, how do we walk in love? Well, we should love as Christ loved us and gave himself up. It was a heart of compassion, a heart of forgiveness that Christ had for us. And so how, how are we to walk in love? forgiveness. Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 21 5 that Jesus is making all things new. That though we experience brokenness in this world, that God desires to make everything as his original design in Eden. And that one day in heaven, there will not be any more sin and shame and darkness, but things will be right. There will not be brokenness and division in our bodies and our relationships. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that Christ is reconciling the world unto himself, not counting our sins against us, but he has entrusted us as as his church with this message of reconciliation. And so to emulate Christ, to love others as Christ does, to have a heart of forgiveness as Christ does, is to take this message of reconciliation and be a fragrant offering to the world of this hope, this message of salvation that's possible through Christ. And Pastor Eddie did a great job encouraging us last week to be those that are forgiving, to let stuff go. And we do that by constantly having this heart of compassion for others, willing and wanting to forgive, while at the same time, Uh, we slowly build restoration in the relationships as trust is earned. It doesn't mean that we uh, just ignore reality. Uh, People do need to restore trust through action. But no matter how many times someone sins against us, as Peter so famously asked Jesus, we're supposed to forgive over and over and over. You see, going back to uh, some belief that the Pharisees had, some teaching in Amos, Uh, they believe that you had to forgive somebody three times based on a misinterpretation of some verses in the Old Testament. And you remember Peter approached Jesus and said, you know, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven? And that was a very intentional number that he asked Jesus because he said, I'll I'll take what the rule of thumb is, three, and I'll double it, and I'll just throw one extra for good measure. And Jesus is going to say, like, yeah, yeah, seven's plenty. That's twice what's expected. And Jesus blew his mind away, and he said, no, 77 to make a point to him that we should, no matter what has happened, always have this desire for reconciliation. This desire for, uh, for, for people to be forgiven. And so that should always be our heart, just as it was our Savior's heart. We read in these verses here that it says that he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God... Jesus gave himself for us to the point of death. He, he sacrificed himself. And so Paul is inviting us in this letter to sacrifice ourself as well for others. Not for their salvation. That can only be uh, received through what Christ has accomplished. But to point others to the Savior. And we're to be Like he mentions in 2 Corinthians 2.15, an aroma of Christ to those that are being saved and those that are perishing. We should be a fragrant aroma because of the way that we have this heart of forgiveness like Christ. Now he's going to move along and he's going to give some contrast to imitating God by demonstrating what it doesn't look like to imitate God, what it doesn't look like to have a heart of forgiveness, what it doesn't look like to love others as Christ loved us. And so we're going to read these in verses 3 and 4. So verse 3, he says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. Now, I know this morning, such a sensitive topic like sex, unfortunately, it is definitely common among us. Definitely in this room, if, even if you have not struggled in some way with being sexually immoral or impure, let's say this week, let's go back the last year. Have you ever struggled in some way of being improper in your heart or in your actions in the last year? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. A lot of hands are going to go up. A lot of hands. And the intention here is not for us to then all of a sudden, Paul's trying to shame us or guilt us or condemn us or tear us down as a church. But he's trying to marry together these two things. He, he shows us sexual immorality and covetousness. Covetousness is greed. Both of these things are forms of not forgiveness, of not giving to others, of not being compassionate to others. But both of these things are manifestations of selfishness, of wanting to take from others. And they're so common in our world, focusing on sex for a little bit. Pornography is so rampant. It is so easily accessible through every form of media, and it's something that because we are sinners and we struggle, uh, that we fall so easily into. What is also so common is us having sex outside of God's holy design for it. Its gift is meant to be, as Genesis says, that two become one flesh. Now, if you're having sex outside of marriage, I mean, how many times are you going to keep becoming one flesh? God's design is that sex brings about a greater purpose of two loving each other, as we're going to see next week, as Christ loved the church. It's meant to be part of this holy example of dying to yourself and loving someone else. And sex is a part of all of that intimacy, not something separate from it. And so one of the ways that we dishonor God, and he's calling us here, is any sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage is, and again, not to bring condemnation, but to just speak truth, is evil. It is evil. And yet I know that it's something that we struggle with and he's saying no honor God do not be sexually immoral do not be covetous verse 4 he says let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving he gives another example to us of using talk that degrades other people And he's saying, you know, that shouldn't be our talk. Our talk should be talk that builds others up. Verse 5, why should we not be greedy or sexually immoral or crude in our speech? He says, verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, this is not a threat that if you are a Christian and you are struggling with your speech or you are struggling in greed or you are struggling in sexual immorality that all of a sudden now you are going to be separated from the love of God. Which Romans 8, 28 and 38 and 39 tell us are impossible that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. This, what he is talking about is that these things are the way Of the world. Sexual immorality, this type of speech, this type of greed, covetousness. These are the ways of idolaters, those that do not worship Christ, that do not belong to Christ, but those that are living in darkness. And he's saying they have no inheritance. They they don't have a kingdom that is coming to them one day where there's going to be no death and no shame and no disease and no... They're separated from God. They're still living in rebellion to God. You should not be following in their path. We should be following in the path of God. We should be emulating God's desires in these things. We should turn from these things. When we have sex outside of marriage, as much as we say we might love someone, we're taking something from someone without giving the promise of oneness, the promise to love in sickness and in health, and we're using someone else. So it doesn't glorify God. And so he's saying, no, your sex shouldn't be using someone's uh, body by viewing it on the internet, or your sex shouldn't be with someone outside of marriage, but your sex should only be inside of marriage so that you are not just having sex with somebody but actively loving someone else seeking to be committed to them like christ is committed to you and so he's giving an example saying the world's out there just going yeah it's all good throw some sex in tv throw some sex and just relationships you go on a date it's going well like let's keep the party going you know and he's saying that what That's not what the Bible says. This is not the way of the world. And I'm just using one example. It's the same with our speech, that we don't care about how we talk. It's the same with our greed, that we just are after things for ourselves, for ourselves, for ourselves, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And he's just giving me examples of saying, this is the way that unbelievers live. It should not be us, the church. And so let me encourage you today, church, that all of us struggle in these things, all of us struggle to be greedy. All of us struggle in our speech to dishonor people, to say things that are regrettable. And how many times, we probably don't do it as often as we should. Have we said something to a family member and we just hope it just kind of disappears? And what we should do is go back to that family member and say, hey, I just, I just said this. That, that wasn't right of me, right? Or how many times have we been led by lustfulness to adopt practices in our sex that they are just not the way of God? and he's giving an example to say we need to be those that are trying to restore trying to give trying to love not trying to take in in these ways let me move along i'm, I'm getting stuck here on this point but i think it's clear So he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Again, those that are outside the kingdom of God, those who do not believe, are pointing towards hell. They're on a highway to hell, they're not following the path of God. He's saying, don't follow them, follow me. Imitate me in what is right. Uh, you know, it's funny with kids, they imitate everything that we do. Both my boys have loved football at an early age, and we, my wife and I died laughing watching our earliest son learn how to run. You know, he first started learning how to walk, and he took a couple steps, and, you know, we're cheering him on, and it wasn't too long before he started to run, but his concept of running was defined by Sunday football. And so he would watch these guys run, trying to evade people, and then go to the ground. And so for the first month that he would run, we were so confused. We knew exactly what he was doing. He would run for a few steps and then he would just dive. He would just dive on the ground and we're like, all right, we know where he got this from. Uh, We emulate the things that we see. Paul is saying as a church, let us Emulate what is good, what is right, what is holy, so that others may emulate us in following Christ. He tells us in 2 Timothy 2.2, teach others what I have taught you. Not just teach others the information that I've taught you, but this way of life. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 17, hey church, I'm sending you Timothy. There was a, a young man named Timothy, who I'm named after, who had followed, had followed Paul. And he tells the church in Corinth, I'm going to send you Timothy, imitate him as as I imitate Christ. Because Paul was emulating Christ, and Timothy was learning to follow Christ the way that Paul was following Christ. And he says, he knows my way of life. He's going to live this way. We're called to imitate God and having this heart of forgiveness so that we run the right way so others see how to follow God. Now he's going to continue to challenge us in verse 7. To walk in the light. He says in verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them, those that are living in darkness apart from God. Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that are good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead, expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 10 He challenges us to discern what is pleasing to God. Our way of life as a Christian and imitating God in a heart of forgiveness, and a heart of reconciliation, should be to live day in and day out and to ask ourselves, will this please God? Will this bring about goodness in my life and the life of others? You know, too often we learn the hard way. We do something Dumb. We do something sinful. We suffer the consequences for it. And then we're like, eventually, we're like, enough times we knock our head against the wall as a Christian. We're like, huh, maybe God actually knows something here. Maybe I should give what he says a try. And he's saying, don't keep knocking your head against the wall. Trust me. Follow what I have to say for you. It is what is best. Humble yourself. Discern what is pleasing to me. And then he says in verse 11, expose that which is wrong in the church. Obviously, we see what is wrong in the world, and we should be able to call it out. But even in our closest relationships, in our family, in our our community groups, in our friendships, we should be able to expose what is wrong to one another. And I'm not going to give a huge lesson on this, but... There's just some common sense ways to go about it. If you're constantly coming up to your spouse or your kids or your friends and telling them all the ways that they're terrible and not righteous, they're probably not going to listen to you or give you much respect. But if you are confessing your own struggles and you are striving to be like Christ and you're pointing out what's good and as they're struggling, you're reminding them of what's true, and you're calling out darkness in gracious ways, they're much more likely to receive it. But church, the command is clear. We are not called to just turn a blind eye and live individualistic lives. We need to be part of the body of Christ to call out what is right and what is true. We need to ask ourselves this morning, are we doing it? Because this is the work that if we do not do, we become like the world if we want to be like Christ, we need to follow him and expose truth to one another because we're all prone to wander, the Bible tells us. How do we do all this? How do we go about it? He encourages us at the end of these verses by saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. I don't know how you've felt, but often I'm, I, I've given you almost no, maybe, Um, encouragement or motivation in these things. I've just so far in this sermon told us what's right, what we need to be doing. But how often do we hear what's right and we need to do and we just feel incapable of doing it or discouraged because we think, I I remember as a youth pastor, I had so many students come up and tell me, um, Tim, I'm trying to do these things, but I look at what my friends are doing and I I just don't feel like trying anymore. And how many times have we felt discouraged in trying to live this way because we see so much sin and indifference and brokenness in the world? And Paul points us back to Christ. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I'm not super aware of any grievous sins in my my life recently last week, the last month but I can tell you I know that I'm still struggling in things that don't reflect the heart that God wants me to have and I can go further back and I can pick out things that are just downright wicked I don't want to share I don't want to confess and reminds me that I once was lost I once was without hope and God has taken a heart of wickedness and brought conviction to show me what is good, what is right what is true and forgiven everything that I've ever done and taken me as his son and that's the same promise for all of us, to take you as his son, to take you as his daughter. Have you ever been on a, on a great team, in a great relationship with somebody that just, you always felt great to be around, they just always had the right words? Or you're on a team that just always, things worked out great? I don't have a lot of illustrations to get, go deep into this, but my senior high school, my basketball team here in Laredo, We'd done some great things the year before, and we were supposed to be great, and we just weren't. We won six games out of about 30. My last year at college, I had this experience where some friends of mine. We put together these two teams, and I wasn't playing college basketball, but we made a super, you know, before LeBron and those guys made a super team, we made a super intramurals team. Only about three of us had not played college basketball, and, and this team was awesome so easy to trust my teammates because everybody kind of knew what they were good at and we weren't selfish and we just knew we had the ability to go out and win and we we won almost every game it was so fun if you've been getting a lot of losses recently in your heart, personally in your family, in in things sins that you're feeling convicted of this morning I want to remind you this morning church that God has made a way through his son Jesus Christ for all of your sin for all of your pain to be forgiven and that you belong to an unshakable kingdom you are guaranteed to receive everything you're guaranteed to win we don't have to look at what's broken and wrong in relationships and withhold kindness to others because we know that we can count on God to show up much like I gave that example of that team that it was just fun to play because we understood what it meant to be a team and nobody was selfish we have that in Christ and that's what we should look like as the church we should be able to manifest that to one another this confidence in what God is doing amongst us in our homes in this church so do not give up and this is what he concludes with he says therefore then verse 15 look carefully at how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is in every situation walk wisely use your time to honor god and bring about forgiveness to do what is appropriate and right is Paul's challenge to us the proper state is to live in wisdom and again he gives us more contrast and he says in verse 18 and don't be drunk with wine or tecate or anything else for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirits addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This heart of giving like God gave to us, this heart of reconciliation and forgiveness, the opposite of it is to be a taker in practicing sex in a way that's not honoring to God or speech in a way that's not honoring to God. But instead we should expose those things and others when they are among us in our hearts and confess them to say, I'm struggling. And know that it's okay to share those things because all of us struggle in these things. All of us struggle to lack courage and faith and to honor God. But instead call one another back to the truth and the grace of God, discerning what is good And don't be controlled by food. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Practice moderation and be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with thankfulness and gratefulness at all that we have. And remember the team that you are a part of, that Christ is the captain and he's given every one of us a mission in our family and in this church to imitate, imitate him in being those that are the greatest forgivers in the world. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that you have made it possible for us to have a heart of forgiveness. Pray that you help us to think about right now any areas in our life where we can be more courageous to live in that way, Father. To be those that give because of all that we've been given to our kids, to our spouse, to our employees, to our boss, to our co workers, to our members in this church. May it be said about us in this season of our lives. things in your name and everybody said amen, amen. glory to God thank you church